16 in our study. We left off at um, chapter 16 last time. And we are in the year about 722 B.C. And we know that as we pick up this chapter, that what's going to happen is the ten northern tribes are going to be taken off into captivity, the house of Israel. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. But before that, we read in chapter 17, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Allah, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him. And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Father, as we go through this text here, this chapter, There's, um, Lord, historical accounts given to us of what happened to your people. But, Lord, we want to bring it home to where we make application here tonight. And there is an important spiritual message for us. So, Lord, as we read this, uh, may we learn from it. And I pray that right now that uh, our cell phones would be off. Lord, that we would be attentive, and especially in the evening when we can get drowsy and uh, when we get tired, I just pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts with your word, and Lord, that you would just bless this time in the study uh, that we have in this book of Second Kings, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And so here, as we see that Hosea is the last of the kings of the house of Israel, And this is right when the children of, um, or that is the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, are going to be taken off into captivity. And we know that the Assyrians are the powerhouse, that is uh, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth right now in the known world. They are beginning to flex their muscle. They're beginning to take over cities and, and countries. And you recall that last week as we were in chapter 16 that it was Ahaz who was the king of Judah at this time that he is ruling in the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And we know that uh, this uh, alliance from Syria and Israel came together, reasoned who was the king of Syria and Pekah, the king of the ten northern tribes. They wanted to kill Ahaz and set up their own king and try to form this alliance with the three nations so they can come against the Assyrians. The Assyrians right now, again, no one can match them militarily. Uh, No one dared to try to stop them. And so they're trying to, as as Assyria is going to be the next ones that are probably going to be invaded, the Assyrians up north, coming, making their way southward into that part of the Middle East. And they're coming into Syria. And now uh, we know that, as we discussed in our study last week in chapter 16, that it was the king of Assyria that killed uh, reason the king of Syria. And he's sitting on the throne, remember, uh, in Damascus, in Ahaz, who's ruling in the southern kingdom of Judah, went up to see him. Now, Ahaz was a terrible king. And the reason that Ahaz went up there to see the king of Assyria is because Ahaz came up with his own plan. Uh, he said uh, that I'm going to pay off the king of Assyria. And you recall that we 
discussed that in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 that it was the prophet Isaiah who's on the scene at this time. That he had come to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, this alliance isn't going to happen, uh, that they're not going to be able to attack you and kick you off the throne and kill you, um, so you don't need to worry, worry. And believe the word of the Lord so you will be established. And it was Ahaz that would not believe the word of the Lord. He came up with his own plan. He paid off the king of Assyria. Hey, will you go and uh, take care of Syria and kill the king of Syria? And that's what he did. So Ahaz goes up there to thank him, and um, he is up there as the king of Assyria, sitting there in Damascus, you know, overtaking uh, Syria, and Damascus, of course, being the capital of Syria, and he's on the throne of what was the king of Syria, and Ahaz goes up to see him, and there is the king of Assyria that has this idol that is there, and Ahaz sees it, and he says, I like that idol. That, that you know, idol helped you, so I think it'll help me. So he had one of those idols, a duplicate made, put into the temple in Judah. So at this time, things are not well. We know that the house of Judah has been plunged deep into idol worship. Ahaz was probably, if not the worst king, along with Manasseh, those two probably the worst kings of Judah. Manasseh, we're going to see, is going to come um, after Hezekiah. So there's Ahaz, chapter 18, will be introduced to Hezekiah, the king of Judah. He was a good king. And then after that, Manasseh. And Manasseh, again, was like Ahaz, plunging the nation deep into idol worship. So here's all this taking place. And now we see that the Assyrians are making their way down into the area of the ten northern tribes. And here is Hosea. He is the last of the um, kings of Israel. There have been 19 successive kings. We have looked at that ever since Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And the house of Israel, every one of those kings that came on the scene were evil kings and they were idol worshipers. And one of the things that we have seen that over and over again written is that those kings that came and sat on the throne of Israel, and there were all kinds of different dynasties. There was not one dynasty like in Judah, those who were the descendants of David. But in the house of Israel, there was assassinations that took place, different families that ruled for different times. But one thing they did have in common is that they were worshiping false gods. And they would uh, continue in the sins of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel. And you recall that Jeroboam, he made a uh, golden uh, temple dedicated to the golden calf, one in Bethel and one in Dan. So here's the house of Israel. Um, as they have been uh, given over to idol worship, false worship, uh, the prophets have come on a scene, as we have seen in First Kings and Second Kings, warning them um, and, and saying, turn back to the Lord. Elijah was on the scene. Elijah came on the scene. Isaiah's on the scene at this time. Other prophets that were there warning the people about their idol worship and what was going to happen. And, and, and it's interesting that um, when you look at how First Kings started out, of course, it starts out with David, his death, and then Solomon comes to the throne. And it was at that time in their history that uh, Israel was united. Israel was experiencing its greatest prosperity, its greatest power, and Solomon builds the temple. 
And you recall that in the dedication of the temple that Solomon gives this speech. He gives this prayer of dedication, and he talks about how the Lord was faithful. He says, Lord, you are God, and there's no one like you, and you keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts, and you have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So Solomon, in that prayer of dedication, was just talking about, Lord, that you have been faithful to fulfill your word to us. And that's one of the things that we learn in Scripture, that God's word is true, and he will be faithful to fulfill his word. And you recall when the children of Israel, clear back in 1500 B.C., came out of Egypt to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, that God made a covenant with them. And God said to them that if you follow after me and if you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, I'm going to bless you when you go into the promised land. I'm going to bless the land. I'm going to give you abundance. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to save you from your enemies. And, um, and everything's going to be great. And we saw that David, who had a heart after God, defeated his enemies around him. And the people were united. They were following after the Lord. And we know that God blessed them. He fulfilled his will. Word. And in the prayer of dedication there, Solomon would refer to that. And then also we know that during that time of the dedication of the temple, there was a great feast that lasted for two weeks. And in the celebration of that feast, we know that the glory of the Lord was manifested in such a way that the priest could no longer minister. And it's interesting at the end of First Kings chapter 8 that we see that it says that the people were blessed and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Jeff, why are we reviewing this? Because it's such a contrast to where we are at right now. That The temple being built in about 97 uh, B.C. And here it is 250 years later. And here was a time when the dedication of the temple, the, the feast, and, and it talks about everyone went back to their own tents with gladness of heart and great joy. Every man was sitting under his own fig tree, eating from his own vineyard. It was a time of great blessing. The Lord was blessing because they were following after the Lord. But but then the skid began. And Solomon, at the end of his life, because he married foreign wives, began to burn incense to the foreign gods that those wives were worshiping. Solomon began to worship them. And we see that after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, that's when the nation split. And the house of Israel was plunged into idol worship from that time. And they refused to turn to the Lord. And we saw and have seen going through these chapters of First and Second Kings that it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse. And now they're going to go off into captivity because you see the Lord fulfilled his word in blessing them. And that was the covenant. If you follow after me, I'll bless you. But part of the covenant also was that if you go after other gods and if you disobey me and if you go after false worship, then you're going to see that the plagues are going to come, drought's going to come, and you're going to be defeated by your enemies, and eventually you're going to go off into captivity. You see, God's word is true as far as what he said the consequences would be if they forsook him, and it's true for us as well. God's word is going to be fulfilled for you and for me. And if any of us are here tonight, maybe you're thinking, oh, there was a time where, you know, I, there was joyful of heart and gladness of heart, and I felt so close to the Lord, and 
I was serving the Lord, and I was doing my devotions and, and learning of him. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, you begin that slide. You begin to, to stop your devotions. You stop, you know, uh, worshiping the Lord. Those things can happen, and, and other things come in, in place, and pretty soon you're going after the things of the world, the pleasures of the world. And I pray that isn't any of us that are here tonight. But here's the good news. The Lord had said to them, turn to me. His hand of love and grace was reached out to them. And it's the same with us. And if we ever find ourselves, or if anybody by chance happens to be here, and you're thinking, there was a time I was closer to the Lord, and I was serving the Lord, but I've kind of been ignoring him, or my love for him is cold, or uh, I've been pursuing other things. Tonight is tonight to turn to him. And call out to him. And again, receive his grace and his mercy in your life. And it's sad what has happened to God's people here as we read this chapter. And we see that Hosea here, he's the last of the 19 kings that had come on the scene. And we see that he is one that uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was paying tribute to the king of Assyria. And all of a sudden, he comes up with this, this plan. How about if we ally ourselves with Egypt. We ally ourselves with Egypt, and maybe the Pharaoh of Egypt can help us. And again, Isaiah was prophesying during this time, and he rebuked the children of Israel because of that. And the Lord had brought them out of Egypt to free them. He brought them out of Egypt to give them their own land to bless them. He did not bring them out of Egypt so they can align with Egypt. But yet they were doing that, and they were looking to Egypt to be their hope rather than looking to the Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah talks about that. Let me read some of it to you because I think it's very important for us to consider because there are those who are Christians that in times of difficulties or in times of challenges that you can turn to the world. You can turn to the advice of the world the ways of the world, rather than turning to God. And Isaiah would say to them, as he's speaking the words of the Lord, actually the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me. Woe to you because you take counsel but you're not coming to me, you're going to Egypt, who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They're involved in sin and then they committed more sin by going to Egypt. Going to the world. Egypt, of course, is a picture of the world. So here is the Lord rebuking the, the you know, uh, children of Israel because he wanted them to turn to him. But they would not. They're turning to Egypt, and he says, Woe to you, and you devise plans, and you're adding sin to sin, who walk uh, to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and the trust of the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For the princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanus, and they were all ashamed of the people who could not benefit them, nor be helped or benefited, but a shame and also a reproach. So he continues to rebuke them. He says, listen, those fast Arabian horses, they are not going to help you. Egypt in her wisdom and her might is not going to help you. It's going to come to nothing. But when the Lord would give them a rebuke, he didn't just leave them there. 
But he goes on and he says to them, listen, in returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And I want to be gracious unto you. And then he would say to you, I want to be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, go to the right, go to the left. And you see, that's what the Lord desires for us, that we would come to him and as we would rest in his love and and knowing in quietness, that is being quiet before the Lord and in confidence, confidence that the Lord desires to work in our lives and his word is true and his word will be fulfilled. He says that they would not. You would not come. It's very easy because there are so many voices that are out there in the world to turn to the world's philosophy, to turn to the world's, you know, ways. And, and um, we see that there's all that that takes place. And that's why it's important for us as Christians. And I know that a lot of you know this, is that we know God's word. You see, there is worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. And worldly wisdom changes all the time. Worldly wisdom is going to cheat you. Worldly wisdom is going to leave you empty and wondering and confused. And Paul would warn the Christians about that in the book of Colossians. He would say to them that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. When it comes to spiritual knowledge and wisdom, we find it in the Word of God for every single area of our lives. And as you are looking for those answers, you turn to God's Word, and He's going to address you in those areas of your life that that you're wondering about, need wisdom in. He desires for us to know godly wisdom. And you see, wisdom is not just knowing it, but it is having it worked out in your life. And there is safety and security in knowing God's Word and walking in God's ways. He says, my ways are good. You and I don't have to walk in the foolishness of the world, but we can walk in true wisdom. And then Paul would give a warning to the Colossian believers, which is a warning to us. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the uh, basic principles of the world, and that not according to Christ. Some of the advice and the philosophy of the world is craziness. And it will confuse you, and you'll be cheated. You'll be robbed, is what he's saying, of your joy. You'll be robbed of gladness. You'll be robbed of truth. So here was the children of Israel, this indictment that we're going to read as now the house of Israel is going to go off into captivity as we continue to read in verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. And in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala, and that was by harbor, and the river Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. So the Assyrians take Israel away captive. Part of the captivity of already had begun uh, some 10 years before this when those tribes on the east side of the Jordan River were t- taken off into captivity. Now we see that the heart of the house of Israel and that area which is referred to as Samaria is taken off into captivity. Uh, they are uh, Assyrians besieged Samaria for three years. And the reason that they go off into captivity, we're going to read about this indictment given here to them why they would go. 
And so here the Assyrians flexing their muscles, they come into the land. And so it was, verse 7, the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other, other gods. One of the things, when you go through the books of the prophets, when you go through the major and minor prophets, and these prophets come on the scene and they're telling the people, hey, turn back to the Lord, repent. Why are you going after these idols? One of the things that's repeated is that the Lord says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I gave to you to bless you. And here again, as I mentioned to you, they're looking to align themselves with Egypt. Listen, Christian, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. He has saved us. He has saved us from the world. We are citizens of heaven. And we're going to touch on this on Sunday, that as Jesus said, that he came to give us life and life abundantly. That is, we have the promise of eternal life. We've been delivered from Egypt. We've been saved from our sins. But the Lord desires for us to experience that abundant life. Do you know that? And that abundant life, what I mean by that, is that joy, that peace, that wisdom that we can live in, and the strength of the Lord being in us as, as we live for him, as we walk in his ways as we enjoy the Lord, as we just live in his grace and just experience his love and rest in that love that he has for you and for me. He did not save us so we can be, you know, in the world again and have the world bring us down and and cheat us so that we are joined to the world, ally with the world. No, we are citizens of heaven. We are in the world, as the scripture says, but we're not to be of the world. We have a love for Jesus Christ. We're not to have a love for the world. And again, my prayer is that nobody is here tonight, that, that you're just linked to the world and in, in pursuing the things of the world. Christian, we have been freed from the world, and that is good news for us. And that was something that he was telling the children of Israel, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, listen, I freed you from Egypt. I brought you out of there to be a great nation to bless you, but you have forgotten and you refused to turn to me. In verse 8, and he and had walked in the statues of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. So you remember that when Joshua came into the promised land, He was told to drive out the Canaanites, and the Canaanites were involved in all kinds of false worship. And the Lord said, listen, don't get involved with the Canaanite gods because they're going to be a thorn to your side. They're going to be a sword to your eyes. It's going to be a problem. And the Canaanites had set up those high places of, you know, in wooden groves of false worship. And and what happened over time is God's people went in and began to use them, as we've discussed quite in detail Use those places of false worship, the, the you know, wooden groves and, and the high places, when the Lord desired for them to come to that magnificent temple that, that was built in Jerusalem and the sacrifice and the worship there. The glory of the Lord manifested at that time of the dedication of the temple to where it was so glorious, but yet they refused. They'd forgotten. They went off and they began to worship other gods the gods of the Canaanites. The, chil- the house of Israel was really no different than the Canaanites were when Joshua came into the land. 
Also the children of Israel, verse 9, as we continue secretly, did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. So what we see here is they secretly did against the Lord. And as we, again, discussed on Sunday morning, that we know the scripture tells us, and Hebrews chapter 4 specifically says, that everything is open and naked before the Lord. And we saw that it was Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Lord, remember? And they fell over dead. And in that discussion, of course, we saw that their sin was, um, was hypocrisy and lying. Hypocrisy means wearing the mask. It means being a fake. It means playing the part. It, it is deliberate deception, trying to pass yourself on as being religious or spiritual or whatever it might be. But you see, here's the thing. They were doing things secretly, but God saw that, and he was publicly calling them to repentance. And whatever it is that we might be involved in, that we think nobody else sees, know that the Lord sees. We can hide things from our family. We can hide things from other brothers and sisters, but you can never hide your heart or what it is that you do from the Lord. Everything is open before the Lord, and he sees it. He sees it. And he saw what they had done. And they set up, verse 10, for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images, as I mentioned, on every high hill and er under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by your servants, the prophets. And so now he turns to Judah. Now again, this is about 722 B.C. And in about 605 B.C., we're going to see that the Babylonians are going to rise to power. So as you look at world history, there was about six world powers that have come on the scene. First was Egypt. And that was the days when, uh, you know, um, the children of Israel uh, came into uh, Jacob and his family at the end of the book of Genesis into Egypt. And then, of course, uh, they were there for 400 years. Egypt was the major power of the known world at that time. And then after that, the second great world empire is the Assyrians. And here's the thing about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were cruel. You recall that Jonah, before this, was told to go to Nineveh and to, to witness to them. Nineveh was the capital of the, the Assyrian Empire, and Jonah didn't want to go. And the reason that he didn't want to go was not because he was afraid of the Assyrians, but because he hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians were very, very cruel. And what they did, as you read in Amos chapter 4, uh, in the first couple of verses there of that chapter, it talks about, and I think it even makes a reference here in Second Kings, that the Assyrians, when they came down, they would put fish hooks in your mouth, and they would drag you off. Pretty brutal, isn't it? What they would do is they would take people and skin them alive. They would take people and they would put them to death and they would put their corpse on these poles and they would line the, the roads of these corpse, you know. And as you're walking down the road, if you were coming to that city, that village where the Assyrians had been, you saw all these dead bodies on these poles. You knew that the Assyrians had been there. I mean, they were very cruel. 
they would cause whole cities to uproot and to go somewhere, you know, to relocate if they heard that the Assyrians were coming. So people were afraid of the Assyrians. And in here we see that um, it talks about Judah. And Judah is going to be taken off into captivity, but not by the Assyrians. Because when we get to chapter 18, I don't think we'll get there tonight, what we're going to see is the Lord's going to strike the Assyrian army. They're going to begin to decline in, in power, and all of a sudden another world power comes on the scene, and that is the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to come and take the house of Judah away, and we will see that as we continue our reading and our studying of Second Kings. After the Babylonians, they were replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire, replaced by Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire, and then at the time of the birth of Jesus, Rome was in, in power, the Roman Empire. So the Bible speaks of six great world empires, and it's interesting that in the last days that we know that there's going to be a revived Roman Empire according to the prophecies of Daniel. That's a study for another time. And I believe that we may very well be seeing the very foundation of the revived Roman Empire that the Scripture talks about and what we see today in the European Union. But as I said, we'll discuss that another time. So at this time, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians are the ones that are the world dominant power and verse 14 nevertheless they would not hear but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God I kind of like that phraseology they were stiff-necked you know the Lord told them they were a stiff-necked people in their wilderness wandering and what he was saying is you're rebellious um, you do not believe uh, you continue in disobedience and that's what he's talking about and you know, when somebody's stiff neck is talking about stubbornness is what it is. Um, it's like some of us who have small kids, sometimes when you discipline them, they'll stiffen up, you know. And, um, and that's what the children of Israel were doing, being stubborn, stiff neck. They weren't listening to the prophets. They weren't listening to the word of the Lord. In verse 15, they rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And so, verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made the, for themselves a molded image, a two calves made of wooden image, and worship all the hosts of heaven and serve Baal. So you recall that it is told to us over and over again, these kings of Israel, you, you followed after the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, set up those two places of idol worship, uh, a temple dedicated to the golden calf, one in Bethel, which was in the southern part of the country, and then way up north in Dan. But they didn't just worship the golden calves. They also, you recall that at the end of 1 Kings, that there was Ahab that plunged the nation deep into Baal worship. And so there was a lot of Baal worship that was going on. They had built a large temple to Baal there in Samaria, the capital of the ten northern tribes. They were involved in worship of Astroth. They were involved in worship of Moloch and Shamash and all those different gods. And that's what's being told in this indictment against them. We know in verse 17, they also caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. We talked about that last week. That was also taking place in the house of Judah as well. Practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke 
provoke him to anger. Now you recall that it was the um, Lord that said to his people before they went into the promised land, he said to them, don't get involved in these occultic kinds of practices. Don't get involved in witchcraft and soothsaying and mediums and all of that. So they are involved in those things as we see here. They ignored what the Lord had said. In verse 18, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. We continue reading as we see in verse 21. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he has said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So fish hooks are put into their mouths. They're drug up to Assyria, but not all of them would leave. Some of them are left behind, and now the Assyrians are going to come down, and they're going to settle into that area where the house of Israel was, that area of Samaria, and they're going to intermarry with the Jews, and we read about that in verse 24. The king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, Cushtha, Ava, Hamoth, and from um, Sepharvium and placed them in the, the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. Now when you go to the Gospels you know that uh, the Samaritans are spoken about. Matter of fact in the Gospels when you see geographically how it was the northern part of the country was called Galilee. Most of the disciples of Jesus were Galileans weren't they? And they were fishermen, they worked the land, very rural area, still very much as a rural area today. So there was Galilee up north, down south there was Judea, that's where Jerusalem was, that's where the second temple was built, and that's where most of the religious leaders lived. But in the middle was called Samaria. And the reason that it was called Samaria is because of this. What had happened was is that the Assyrians came down, intermarried with some of the Jews, and the result was uh, the Samaritans. And in Jesus' day, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them and despised them. And we know that the Samaritans at that time were not allowed to come into Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Matter of fact, the Samaritans, they're in Samaria. They had their own temple. They had their own worship. Um, most of the Jews traveling from the north down south would avoid them, go around. And that's why it was very unusual when Jesus in John chapter 4, he's talking to that woman at Jacob's well. It was very unusual for a rabbi to be talking to a woman alone, that in itself, but he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And that's why when you read in that chapter, the disciples were surprised saying, hey, you're talking to this woman? Because she's a Samaritan. And she was even surprised, right? She was surprised. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, talk to me as Samaritans? But Jesus had a divine appointment with her. He cared about her. He began to talk to her about living water. And she didn't understand. And he said that if you drink of the water of this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you will never thirst again. And it's true for us today. 
that if you're here tonight and you are thirsty spiritually and in your soul and in your heart, Jesus has living water to give to you. If you thirst, he said, come drink of me, and out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. So Jesus has living water to give to us. And you recall that he knew all about her. He said, I know about you. You had five wives and the one that, or five husbands, and the one that you're with is not your husband. She said, you're correct. She goes into Samaria, and she says to the men of the city, come and see a man that knows all about me. So they go and check it out, and many believed at that time. Also, what we're going to see in the book of Acts is that in Jerusalem, as the church is growing, persecution comes. And as persecution comes, it's going to spread the Christians out, and they're going to go to Samaria, and revival is going to break out in Samaria. So here in this area are the Samaritans now, and that's what they're going to be called in verse 25. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lines among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lines among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Isn't that interesting? God's sending lines, and these lines are chomping on the people. So the king of Assyria is saying, Listen, you know what? The problem is this. You guys coming in and us coming in from Assyria, you know, we don't know their God and their rituals, and that's why this is happening. So what we need to do is get one of their priests, and he'll explain it to us, and everything will be okay. That's the way they were thinking. They are thinking, well, God is, you know, located in a geographic area, and that's their God, and, um, you know, he has sent line in his angers to chomp on the people, and so we'll get a priest to see how it is that we can do these rituals and these religious things to keep the lines from eating us. That's really what's being said here. But I do want to make application for us tonight that there is a line that's out ready to chomp on you. And that's why Peter says that there is Satan who is our enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, we're to be watchful, sober, be vigilant. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't go into his territory. Listen, the, the enemy Satan is real. And if you go into his territory and if you're you know, sleeping spiritually, he's going to pounce on you and he's going to rip your head off. That's what he wants to do. He's looking for a way to pounce on you. And it's more than, well, you know what, I'll go through some religious rituals, you know, and I'll be safe. No, it is complete surrender to the Lord and following after him and being submitted to him. There is, as I mentioned to you, that safety and security and staying close to the Lord. He's our shelter. He's our high tower. He's our refuge. He is the one that's going to protect us. He's our protector. And so stay close to the Lord. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And the devil will flee from you. But don't go into his territory because he's going to chomp on you and he's looking any opportunity that he can. So this is interesting, kind of what's taken place in verse 27 the king of Assyria commanded saying send there one of the priests who you brought from there let him go and dwell there let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land and then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord now you read this and you think well that's pretty neat that's pretty cool at least they got somebody there to teach them how to fear the Lord Um, but we see that it's not what 
it's all cracked up to be because verse 28, then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came, dwelt in Bethel, as I mentioned, verse 29. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth and Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nerjal, and the men of Hamath made Eshema, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak and the Seravites and burned their children on the fire of Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of the Severiums. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places uh, for, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. And they feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. So interesting that they feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. So what's being said here? Charles Spurgeon actually had a term for this, the prince of preachers. He called it a sham conversion. In other words, there was a form of religiousness. There was a form of, uh, we fear the Lord, but they were making God into their own image. They they were worshiping other gods and, and worshiping in their own way. Oh, I believe in God, but they worshiped also a false god. They, they had a fear of this judgment, you know, lines chomping on us and stuff. But they were going to worship God in their own way, have their own gods, try to appease God by rituals and religious practices. We see that today. There are those that they have somewhat of a kind of a fear of God and, and some who call themselves pastors and ministry leaders. But yet they'll stand up and they'll say, well, you know what? Uh, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. It's okay to believe in other gods. It's okay to, to have other religions. We need to learn from them. We need to be, you know, sensitive. There's other ways to heaven. You see, that's what's happening here. Or they'll say to people, you know what? It's okay. Just live any way that you want to. They won't call sin, sin. They'll say it's okay if you live an immoral life. It's okay if you're living with your your girlfriend, living with your boyfriend. As long as you're happy, as long as you're sincere, God loves you. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you live. If you live a homosexual lifestyle, it's, it's okay when God calls it sin. You know, it's okay if you, you know, go in this direction and believe this God and all these things, rather than what the Word of God has to clearly say to us and what the Word of God calls sin as sin. And there are those who will call evil good and those who will come along and say, just believe and be sincere in all of this. And that's what was happening here. They were worshiping God. There was a form of religiousness. There was a form of, of, you know, hey, we believe in God, but they were doing it in a false way. They were doing it where they were accepting anything and, and, um, and they were not pleasing to the Lord and not worshiping him in the way that he had told them. They weren't truly fearing the Lord. In verse 34, to this day, they continue practicing their former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor did they follow their statues or their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. Again, as we see that it was the Lord that would say to them, I'm a jealous God. He wasn't jealous of those 
other false gods. He was jealous for them because those other gods were not real. He said, you don't fear those other gods. Don't bow down to them. They're not real. But the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you should feel fear him you shall worship and to him you shall offer sacrifice and the statutes and the ordinances and the laws and the commandments which he wrote to you you shall be careful to observe forever you shall not fear other gods and the covenant which i have made with you you shall not forget nor shall you fear other gods but the lord your god whom you shall fear and he will deliver you from the hand of your enemies however they did not obey but they followed the former rituals so these nations feared the lord yet served their carved images also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So they continued in their false religion, no longer a nation because of their false religion, because of their sin. They had such potential. God wanted to bless them. Listen, maybe the Lord is saying to us, and I know that he is, that I want to bless you. I love you so much, but follow after me. Walk in my ways. And believe in me wholeheartedly. And as you do, again, the contrast between 1 Kings chapter 8, that all the people went home gladness of heart, joyful in heart, being blessed, compared to right now fish hooks in their mouths, lions jumping on them and pouncing on them, no longer a nation because they refused to turn to the Lord. May we never be a stiff-necked people. May we never be ones that we're stubborn against what the Lord is declaring to you and to me in living for him. He loves us so much. He's delivered us from Egypt. And he wants us to experience that abundant life, that life of joy and just peace and strength and godly wisdom that we really would just do well in life. That is, that you're going to have real purpose and peace And you're just going to have the joy of the Lord that will fill your heart as you walk in his ways. Just experiencing the blessings of the Lord. Let him be first in your life, all right? In every area of your life. Let him be first. Open your heart to that. And say, Lord, you know what? I want to worship you in spirit and truth. I want to be surrendered and committed to you. So, Father, we thank you for these lessons. And we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to just, as we see this, how what a sad commentary and indictment on your people, that you had done so much. You brought them out of Egypt. You brought them to the promised land. You gave them the land. You blessed the land. You, you had manifested yourself in so many ways, but yet they refused to turn to you when they went into their idol worship. So, Father, I pray that tonight, that those of us who are here, first of all, that I just want to pray if there's anyone here tonight that they don't know if they're right with you. Maybe um, as anyone listening to this message, either in this sanctuary or out in a coffee shop, maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. You don't even know if you're saved. Jesus tonight desires for you to know that he died for you to bring you out of Egypt. In other words, that your sins may be forgiven because all of us have sinned. And to be free from the penalty of sin. You see, the Lord also, he wants to do a work in you to free you from the power of sin over you. But first it means surrendering your life to him if you've never done that. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here tonight and 
if your life was to end tonight or tomorrow and you don't know if you're going to go to heaven, you don't know if you belong to Jesus, will you get that right before you leave here tonight? And will you open your heart to him? He loves you so much. And you pray right where you're at, right where you're sitting. And mean it. Open your heart to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. So I come to you and I surrender my heart to you. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. Forgive me and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you're alive because you rose from the grave. And now I open my heart to you. So Lord, help me to live for you all the days of my life. And thank you for hearing my prayer. And for all of us that are here tonight, that there wouldn't be any areas of our life where we're being stiff-necked, stubborn. But Lord, as you bring conviction in your word to us, that there would be just a delight in surrendering to you and what you say, because you want to bless us. We know that the enemy in the world is going to cheat us. The enemy in the world is going to lie to us. And Lord, we desire to experience not only life as we surrender our hearts to you, but that abundant life that you promised for us. A life of peace and a life of walking in your wisdom. A life of of strength and, and joy. And Lord, it comes by as we keep your commandments because your commandments are not burdensome. And we know that every commandment, every way that you give to us is an expression of your love for us that we may do well in this life. And Lord, that when we do go through the difficulties and the trials, because all of us do, that Lord, we can turn to you and know that your word is true, that your love is true for us and you are faithful. So Lord, bless your people here. Bring comfort to those who need comforting. Provide for those who need provision, Lord. Bring strength to those who are feeling weak. Lord, and I pray that also that you would just, um, Lord, bring wisdom to those who need it and direction. Take us all home safely here tonight. We thank you for being here together and going through this chapter. And Lord, bless our day tomorrow.